today, whenever you hear a person described as spiritual but not religious, or someone telling of a vacation spent in the great outdoors to get in touch with nature, you find the echo of Emerson, Thoreau, and the transcendentalist philosophy. Still, listening to Emerson's work on audio today can present a certain challenge to the modern listener. Though most Americans likely read Emerson's Conquered Hymn with its shot heard around the world in their first poetry anthologies in middle school, his longer essays may initially seem hard to follow. However, with an informed approach, the listener should find Emerson surprisingly accessible, inspiring, timely, and even funny. And because Emerson is deep, his work can be listened to again and again, with different insights to be gained each time through. With that said, these suggestions may be helpful. First, Emerson's style reflects the values and expectations of a different time. In the 1800s, before Lincoln's short and direct Gettysburg Address of 1863, and indeed for a long time afterward, ornate phrasing was thought to be the hallmark of a great writer and elaborate oratory was expected from the skilled public speaker. Emerson was both of these, frequently giving public readings of his essays. The 21st century listener, more accustomed to modern texts that prize clarity and economy of prose, may initially find this aspect of Emerson's style somewhat disorienting. Relax and allow yourself the luxury of enjoying Emerson's extended metaphors and descriptions. Give it time as he did. Listening to Emerson is much like attending a Shakespearean play. Though it may take a few minutes to adjust to the pacing of the work, it is well worth the effort. Also bear in mind that Emerson wrote and spoke to an audience that, for the most part, shared both his structured Christian upbringing and his knowledge of the Greek and Latin classics, which were the centerpiece of higher education in those times. He freely references this shared knowledge without feeling any need for elaboration. For instance, he names Paphos and Tessaphon, along with Versailles, in the 1844 nature, knowing his audience would recall them as luxurious capitals from antiquity and in the same essay mentions Gabriel and Uriel, confident his Christian-educated public would recognize them as archangels. He will also bring up figures of the day, such as George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, who were household names then, but are perhaps less well-known today. The listener may consider keeping a dictionary handy, if practical, to look up any allusions to classical mythology or biblical scripture that are unfamiliar as well as the occasional word or name that has fallen out of common usage. It can make all the difference in successfully rooting out his meaning. Finally, use your technology and resources to enhance this audiobook. Be encouraged to re-listen to sections as you proceed, to refine your comprehension, or just to enjoy Emerson's wordplay. Search the web and visit your library for more information on Emerson's life and times you'll find that interest in Ralph Waldo Emerson has increased as new generations of readers and listeners discover for themselves his subtle perceptions of the world. Welcome his work on its own terms and decide for yourself if Emerson was, as a contemporary critic once said, a moonstruck parson, or whether he had indeed discerned some essential truth in the nature of existence. Emerson's work entitled Nature was first published in 1836 and is comprised of eight chapters and this introduction. Nature is but an image or imitation of wisdom, the last thing of the soul, nature being a thing which doth only do but not know. Plotinus 
Our age is retrospective. It builds the sepulchres of the fathers. It writes biographies, histories, and criticism. The foregoing generations beheld God and nature face to face, we through their eyes. Why should we not also enjoy an original relation to the universe? Why should not we have a poetry and philosophy of insight and not of tradition, and a religion by revelation to us and not the history of theirs? Embosomed for a season in nature whose floods of life stream around and through us and invite us by the powers they supply to action proportioned to nature, why should we grope among the dry bones of the past or put the living generation into masquerade out of its faded wardrobe? The sun shines today also. There is more wool and flax in the fields. There are new lands, new men, new thoughts. Let us demand our own works and laws and worship. Undoubtedly we have no questions to ask which are unanswerable. We must trust the perfection of the creation so far as to believe that whatever...